This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. A good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 7.06 a.m. on Friday, the 23rd of February. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wang Xiaoning and Keith Kam. Now, in half an hour, we're going to get highlights from the 2023 EIU Democracy Index and what global trends indicate about the state of democratic processes. But as we always do, let's kickstart this Friday morning with a look at how global markets closed overnight. Everything basically looks green, sadly, except for the for, for the FBM KLCI. On Wall Street, uh, the Dow was up 1.2%. The Nasdaq was up 3%. The S&P 500 was up 2.1%, surging to new highs. And this is after NVIDIA uh, reported much stronger than expected quarterly results. Earlier in the day in Asia, the Nikkei was up 2.2%. Hang Seng was up 1.5%. Shanghai's Composite was up 1.3%. The STI was up 0.2%. And the FBM KLCI closed 0.5% lower at 1,545 points. There were some records broken yesterday. The Dow, for the first time, mm. above 39,000 points. And the Nikkei 225 broke their 30-year high, uh, 39,098 points. So lots of records broken, upset our FBM KLCI. <laughs> Those are records down. that we want to see. No, no, we have records. <laughs> we, we are Singapore, again, Singapore dollar all-time high, US dollar all-time high. We have... Unfortunately, the wrong kind of records. All right. Well, to for some insights on what's moving markets, why they're going gangbusters, uh, we have on the line with us Tim Mulholland, president of TGM Limited in Chicago. Tim, good morning. Thank you, as always, for joining us. This week's release of FOMC Minutes highlighted policymakers' concerns of the risks that come up with rates being eased too soon. Yet, why are markets uh, so sanguine, sanguine about it, I guess, uh, despite uh, the indications that that rates are going to be higher for longer. What's pushing equities up? Well, I think that it shows that financial conditions are probably as easy as they've ever been. You know, credit spreads are very tight. Uh, we know what the market's doing, albeit with, uh, you know, the MAG-7 um, accounting for really the bulk of it. But uh, I, I think that the uh, market's gotten used to that. I, they're still looking for uh, funds to be like four, three, four and a half, four and three quarters by the end of the year. Uh, not as sharp as was previous, but, you know, for some reason, they still believe the Fed's going to make a move. But I think the Fed has a big risk. If they go too soon and then inflation reignites, they've got a real problem on their hands. So I think they'd rather sit tight so long as nothing appears broken and, uh, you know, the financial system is working. Actually, interest rates are normalized, which is something we haven't really seen for 15 years. Tim, with records being broken like this overnight, um, at what point should we start considering taking profit? Well, I tell you, it's uh, if you weren't in the S and P index or these cap weighted indexes, or if you didn't own, you know, Microsoft, uh, obviously Nvidia, credible, um, Amazon, you know, the Mag Seven. I mean, earnings would be flat to negative in the S and P. And if you look at the equal weighted S and P compared to the cap weighted, it's a big divergence. So this is not a real broad based rally, which uh, should be somewhat concerning. Actually, has shades uh, to me of. Um, uh, 2000 for how stretched valuations have gotten. And I'm not saying these are phantom earnings. I'm just saying companies like Cisco and Intel and Microsoft back then were, you know, rock solid. And quite frankly, Cisco has still to this day not attained the high that it reached in 2000. And it was the NVIDIA of that day. But I'm not predicting that's going to happen. But the market's very stretched. And, um, you know, it's led by a select group of very powerful, powerful companies. 
So what do we do then, Tim, at the end of the day? I mean, look at NVIDIA, the market cap rally, $277 billion in just one day, highest ever in record. And yet it's, it's that alone is even higher than the market cap of Intel currently. Is this a signal for investors to actually then sell? Or is the AI story something that we should, it's just the trend that you have to follow? You know, it is it is a trend and it's a very strong trend. But as you just mentioned, these gains are just, um, you know, I think out of proportion. And when you look at NVIDIA with their margins at, what, 77%, uh, that's coming from somewhere. So without these big, um, uh, you know, Microsofts and Amazons and those the likes of those building their AI potential and all this CapEx spending, uh, at some point they're going to have to, Microsoft's turning a profit, at some time they're going to have to really, um, this is going to have to go. That, I don't know if that will sustain itself. And the other thing I believe is NVIDIA may not be the only game in town. There should be some competition, I would think. AMD probably, um, you know, is probably in a good position. So I, I think it's a little, it's very stretched right now. So I would probably say if I were long those stocks to at least now would be a good time to do a um, a hedge in one of the cap-weighted indexes because if those stocks falter, the cap-weighted indexes will go just with them as well. So, I mean, I think it's time to be cautious here. I know it's it's been a huge move. And if you've been fortunate enough, I think either taking some off the table or hedging some or locking in some of these gains might not be a bad idea. Tim, uh, you said it was not a broad-based rally uh, earlier and I kind of want to be a glass half-full kind of guy. Do you see any sort of sectors or stocks that might be laggards that might uh, pick up from here? I don't know. I mean, I think there's, uh, there's you know, healthcare stocks, actually, I should say, have been pretty, very strong, actually. Healthcare sector has been good. And I also believe you're going to probably look at the small cap in value, which is, you know, we, I said a year or two years ago it was um, at levels that were uh, enticing, and that's probably even more so today. So I, I think there's a you know argument for some of these undervalued stocks. I wouldn't buy value just for the sake of value, but I think there's probably a lot of uh, uh, maybe some equities that are going to, on a relative basis, outperform going forward. I, I don't know how long this this can continue. And when a market makes new highs, as we did today, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not really one that would step in front of a new high. I'd wait for some kind of technical weakness to develop first. Tim, another new high today was the Nikkei 225. Uh, it breached the highs that we saw 30 years ago. Is it a market to still invest in? It's up almost 17% on a year-to-date basis. You know, I don't think it got over 40,000. Uh, I remember, by the way, and I'm old enough to remember this, <laughs> but in uh, 1990, January 4th, I remember doing a trade for, uh, actually it was a really pretty big hedge fund now, and that trade was selling the Nikkei. We sold it at 38,720. Uh, and I never forget that. And the market sold off to, you know, below 10,000, I think in the uh, maybe five to 7,000. And, you know, it's just getting back to those levels today. But you look at the weekend, the profits are, you know, and they're unleashing profits in, in Japan. And the weekend has really helped propel, give them a good tailwind. So, you know, the Nikkei, look at that. You just said it took 30 years. Remember, everybody had to be Japan. Japan is where NVIDIA was back in the mid 80s, you know. So I'm just saying these things uh, don't go on forever. And when the bigger the boom, the bigger the and longer the bust, as you saw with the Nikkei, and as you're still even seeing with Cisco, by the way. Can we turn over to commodities? Looking at gold, prices have established themselves above the key $2,000 an ounce level this year. Are there compelling reasons to add the metal to an investment portfolio given the current trend? I think so, especially, um, you know, even the dollar, we look at the strength it has. But if you look at the dollar index chart, 
it's not really that bullish to me. In fact, I think you're making these uh, lower highs, and I think it's, it's it could be vulnerable. But in that case, you would certainly want to buy gold. I think also if you believe in the Fed easing story, you certainly want to have that in your portfolio as well, even though it doesn't pay uh, you know dividends or interest. But I, I can also say, I'll go back to 2001. This was uh, April, May of 2001. Gold hit uh, was $265 an ounce. So you've had a pretty good rally for something that really doesn't compound, but on a price basis alone, yes. So I think there's a place for it, especially if you think that we're going to have um, uh, a weaker currency. And if uh, you also think the Fed's going to ease, which incidentally, I don't think there's any reason for them to at this point. Tim, thanks as always for the chat. That was Tim Mulholland, president of TJM Limited in Chicago, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. Well, he's definitely saying caveat emptor, right? Because yeah. markets have just gone all-time high. Valuations look a little silly. Uh, he compares it with the 2000 dot-com bubble, which I remember, and I, I just joined the fund management industry then, and I was like, oh, bye. Uh, what a correction. And I wonder whether it has similar tones. I've said the difference is in those days, those dot-com bubble, those dot-com stocks weren't making a cent. On the other hand, the likes of your Magnificent Seven, are actually their results are pretty good. It's just that markets are signing crazier and crazier valuations to it. So at some point, yeah, things should revert to the mean. But what is the mean? Does AI change that? I don't have the answer for that. I think analysts are also trying to figure it out. But he did say that the this rally was uh, not really a broad-based one. So uh, there, there are risks. And any time uh, valuations and, and when markets go as high as this, the air gets kind of thin and, and gravity kind of comes in and pulls everything down again. And then again, I was asking a question whether or not there are any laggers that we could pick up because once these things happen, there might be a correction. But again, you know, just be careful on what you trade. Yeah. All right, let's take a look at some of the earnings reports that have come out from the international corporate scene. We do have Moderna. They posted a surprise quarterly profit thanks to deferred payments and cost cuts, although there was a slumping of sales from the COVID vaccine. The biotech company booked fourth quarter revenue of 2.8 billion US dollars, although a decline of 45% from a year ago. It was better than analyst expectations of 2.5 billion dollars. Uh, profit came in at 50 55, excuse me, 55 cents per share or a net income of $217 million in the fourth quarter. The company displayed signs of gaining COVID vaccine market share on its rival Pfizer as it captured around 48% of the US retail market during the, uh, fall, the fall COVID season. For the full year, revenue came in at around $6.8 billion, which was better than the previous forecast of at least $6 billion. Moderna lost $4.7 billion last year against a profit of $8.4 billion in 2022. Okay, so if you look at the outlook, right, they are reaffirming their 2024 sales forecast of $4 billion US dollars. Uh, full year R&D expense is expected to be projected to be $4.5 billion, down from 4.8. They expect to return to sales growth in 2025 and break even by 2026 with the launch of new products, currently having nine, 45 products in development. So does the street like this name for a company that surprisingly doesn't make money? The answer is not quite because there's 12 buys, 11 holes, 
two sales. Consensus target price for this stock, 134 US dollars and 70 cents. Last done price was actually 99 dollars and 40 cents. All right, let's turn our attention to Vietnamese EV maker VinFast. They saw their losses in the fourth quarter widen by 3.4% from the previous quarter, even though deliveries have actually increased. Net loss for the last three months of 2023 came in at $650 million. That's 1.3% higher than the same period a year ago. Revenue stood at $436 million. That's 26% quarter-on-quarter increase and 133% year-on-year jump. And for the full year, of 2023, its net loss rose by 15% to $2.4 billion, while total revenue increased by 91% from the previous year to $1.2 billion. Uh, VinFast delivered around 13,000 cars in the last quarter of the year, 35% more than the previous quarter, which gives a total delivery of around 34,800 cars for the whole year, missing the target of 50,000 units due to slow EV adoption and price competition. And as at the end of uh, last year, the company sold a cumulative of 42,000 EVs. Okay, if you remember this deb- this stock, this IPO debuted uh, last year and it was like one of the best ever performing IPOs in the day. It rallied all the way to 80 US dollars. This morning, the stock is down 18 cents to $5.08. So it tells you, ooh, be careful when something jumps too much, right? Um, there's only four analysts that cover this stock. All have a buy. Consensus target price is $9.33. But I'm just amazed this company still chugs along. All right, 7.19 in the morning. We're going to head into some messages, but we'll come back to cover more of the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.